You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Koop. Today we're going to be talking about some of the figures in the Bible that learned and discovered God's way and how did they do that. A quick survey this morning. We're not going to use our phones, just by hand. Uh, Quick survey. How many moved to B.C. in the last five years? Let me see your hands. If you moved to B.C. in the last five years, okay, good number. How many moved here in the last year? You moved to B.C. in the last year. Okay, good number. The recent survey showed that in our hood, the downtown area, that 73% of the people living here moved here in the last five years. Pretty surprising. And then also, maybe not surprising, but in the last year, about 30% of the people moved here. So that was done a few years ago. But I think the trend is about the same people moving here. And we move from different parts of the world, different parts of the country. How many moved from Canada? You moved within Canada in the last five years, okay? How many... Uh, moved within Canada and you packed up a U-Haul or you took a car and you actually drove down the highway to find Vancouver. How many would say that was the way you did it? Okay, not too many. Most of us flew here. Where did you move from, sir? Alberta. What part of Alberta? Wetaskiwin. You moved from Wetaskiwin. Very good. From Wetaskiwin to Vancouver. Now, if you've never been to Vancouver before and you're coming from, how many know where Wetaskiwin is? Okay, that's not very many. Wetaskiwin's a pretty fair-sized town. But anyhow... Uh, he moved from Wetaskiwin, and so if we were to go to Wetaskiwin and we didn't know where it was, and we had a drive to Wetaskiwin, what's one of the first things that we would do? We'd... You go to Starbucks. <laughs> God bless Starbucks. I, I, yeah, they're, they're good. But you know, if, you were, if you had to get in your car... Or you're going to make plans to go there. You hadn't been to a task. What, just really, what's one of the first things we automatically do today to find our way there? Google Maps. I heard that out there. Exactly. We Google it. How would we get there? We go to Google Maps. It'll tell us different roads to take. and tells you how many miles it is, how long it is. So let's go to a task one and let's find out what road. I don't know what road you took, but let's find out the best road that Google Maps. They're going to show us the way. Okay, so let's see which way they show us. Wetaskiwin. Wetaskiwin. Starts with a W. W. E. T. Right? Oh, there you got it. Wetaskiwin, Alberta. There you Perfect. And we're going to just go to, just put, type in Vancouver. That's close enough. All right. Vancouver, BC. And let's hit get direction. There we go. Look how quick that is. Isn't that amazing? There you go. And is that the route you took, by the way? On the yellowhead? You just got in the drove. All right. Well, this tells us if we take the Yellowhead Highway, 1,224 kilometers, 14 hours, 28 minutes driving. Let's see how long it is if you walk that distance. (laughs) If you walk about the same, it's a little, 11 days, one hour if you walked. I don't think we'd want to walk from uh, Edmonton to Vancouver. But it's pretty quick, right? Now, we have our iPhones out, and if you've ever gone somewhere, when we're traveling, we usually have this with us. If we're, we're pretty sparing about it because it eats up a lot of your data plan when you find, use Google Maps, so we're really careful with it. But sometimes we've been lost, and uh, we say, oh, let's go on here and find out what the best, where are we anyhow? And we'll find out where we are, and we'll get directions. And thank goodness for GPS and Google Maps because we can find our way pretty easy. But what did we do before we had... Google Maps. What did we do? You remember these? Old school? 
Before you went on a holiday, you went to BCAA and you said, or you went to the gas station, you pulled out all these maps, one for this province or that province, and you had them all stuffed in your glove box and you'd bring them out. And after the trip, they looked like a rag because you'd worn it out. And you'd take this thing and you'd spread it out. And I mean, it was, it was not as easy as it is today. And you had to find Wetaskiwin. For those who don't know, it's just south of Edmonton. And you look Wetaskiwin. And then on the side here, they had this little grid, a chart. And you would look for Wetaskiwin. But you know what? Wetaskiwin's not on the grid. It's on the map, but it's not on the grid. Because <laughs> if it's a big city, this little thing would tell you how many kilometers. You could use a chart. And, you had a, and the print is really small. It's getting smaller the older I get. I don't know what's with that, but it's really small. But... If it was a little town like Wetaskiwin, then you had to go down here, and there's a, a legend at the bottom that says, you know, one inch is so many kilometers or miles, and you get your ruler out, and you say, okay, this is this much, you know, that much. You kind of move the ruler around, and then you get an estimation of how many kilometers it was going to be to that town. It didn't tell you how long it would take. It didn't tell you how long it would take if you walked. It was a lot harder, actually, to use one of these old maps, so that's what we used to use when we wanted to find our way somewhere. If we lost the map or if we hit construction, we were in a bind. If we lose our GPS, our phones today or whatever, we, oh, now what do I do? So what did we do before maps? What did we do before Google Map? What did we do before, how did we find our way before then? If you study people like the Inuits, for example, or Eskimos up north, they would follow landmarks. If there wasn't a landmark, they would build an Anukchuk like we have at English Bay, one of those, and those became the markers to show the way, and then they used the stars to navigate their way using the stars. Anybody here, just curious, but anybody here this morning, can you navigate your way on the ocean or somewhere with using stars? We haven't had anybody yet. It's, it's almost a lost art. I can find the Big Dipper, but that's about it. I'm not really good at navigating with the stars. But there's one thing about navigating with the stars is you can't lose them. The connection doesn't go down. And it's, it's a really tried and proven way if you know how to do that. This morning, we're going to talk about finding God's ways. But we're not going to try. See, we live in this world that's kind of instant. We, we want to find it right away. So we say, God, I need your way. And you know what? I've got five minutes for a devotion. So please download it quick because I've got to go. And we kind of expect God to work the way this works, but he doesn't. God, if I can use the words old school. So if we want to, now he's relevant in our culture, don't get me wrong, but if we want to know God's way, we need to go back and figure out how did David know God's way? He, he was a man after God's own heart. How did, how did he do that? How did Moses know God's ways? And how did somebody like Joseph know God's way. What, what did they do? What did these wise saints of old, how did they find God's way? Because if we could tap into that, then guess what? We could be anywhere in the world experiencing any kind of dilemma, and we could find our way. Wouldn't that be valuable to know? So we're going to go and study a few things today out of these three lives. So let's start with David this morning. Jeremiah, first of all, chapter 6, verse 16, one of our key verses as we go into the series, is this. This is what the Lord says. It's always good to hear what God has got to say on the matter. Stand at the crossroads and look. Stop and look. Ask, which paths are the old reliable paths? 
So the first thing you have to do is ask. If we don't ask, if we don't want it, we're not going to have anything. But So ask. Remember last week's message? We talked about in all your ways, commit them to the Lord. Everything, big or small, God's interested in the details. If you open up a blueprint for a building, it's got very intricate details that are key for the success of the whole plan. And the little details of your life that you think are insignificant to God, they're very significant for the overall plan. So we commit our ways, we ask Him, and then He says, ask, ask which way leads to blessings. This is a good point, because God's way always leads to life. He said, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. If you study nature, if you do it God's way, there is life. For example, if you, if you have a green thumb and you're good at growing plants, you know there's a certain way to grow a rose bush. There's a certain way to trim it back. There's a certain way to fertilize something. There's a certain way to water it. And if you do it right, if you have the right birds pollinating the, the trees, you'll have a fruit. There's a certain way. And if you do it the right way, it always brings life. It always brings more life. When we raised cattle on the farm, we knew that if we bred the cows at the right time, if we treated them the right way, if we gave them the right grain, right pasture, the right seasons, there would be calves in spring. The right way leads to life. We see that in nature. We also see it in the spiritual things. Ask which way leads to blessings. Live that way and find a resting place for yourselves. But you said that we wouldn't live that way. So Jeremiah is addressing a culture that's saying, I know if I want to live God's way. Maybe he would have the same message for Vancouver in 2012. Our first point, David wanted God's ways. So if you're taking notes or filling in the blank, the first word is wanted. You have to want God's way. And usually we get to that place where, at least in the early part of our Christian life, we get there when we've tried it our way and our way didn't work so well. Now he's okay, God, I want your way. I've tried my way. It's not working. I want your way. Then he was willing to follow God's way. Because sometimes God will reveal his way to us and go, hmm, I'm not just sure I want to do that. I think I'll go back and try my way one more time. And after we've tried his way, a couple, our way a couple more times, we'll go back and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it your way. Remember Frank Sinatra saying, but I did it my way. This is, no, no, God, I'm willing to do it your way. I want your way, and I'm willing to do it your way. And then thirdly, he waited for God's way. This is important because it's, it's not always instantaneously. Often we find God's way through a season of waiting. We would like to have God on our timetable, but really God's God and we're not. We're finite. He's infinite. And he is not our bellboy in the sky who kind of just serves us. God, my name is Jimmy. What are you going to give me? No, he's, he's going to, it's not, doesn't work that way. He we submit to his lordship, and he sees the big picture. We're standing in the forest. He has this overview of our life. And so when we say, God, show me the next step, show me the way here, sometimes there's a season of waiting before that way or that door is open for us. David taught us in worship we find God's way. If we don't catch anything else this morning, that point alone is, is gold in finding God's way. David was a worshiper. He was a man after God's own heart. His name is used more than any other name in the Bible. There was something about David. The book of Acts tells us he was a man after God's heart. Did David have failures? Absolutely. David blew it at times. But what did David do? He'd run back to God. His compass was always pointed to God. 
And you know, that reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And sometimes when you've blown it, I don't know if you're like me, but when I blow it, I just feel like, oh, I feel so condemned. Oh, you know. But then I go back to this verse that says, there's no condemnation to those whose heart is after God. God, I know I made a mistake, but I'm running to you. My compass is pointed towards you. I want your ways. This is David. And all of that, David was this worshiper. We read in uh, Psalm chapter 25 here, it says, To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. David is worshiping. I lift my soul to you. I trust you, O my God. Last week, we talked about trust. Remember, we talked about, I trust the stage right now. I put my full weight on it. David says, I trust your words. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies triumph over me. No one who waits for you will ever be put to shame, but all who are faithful will but all who are unfaithful will be put to shame. Make your ways known to me, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Not my way, but your way. Not my will, but your will be done. Lead me in your truth and teach me because you are God, my Savior. I wait all day long for you. Here's David, the worshiper, and David, the one who's willing to wait. Oftentimes, we will get insight into the direction for our lives when we are in worship. Worship is obviously singing, and, and that's a big part of it, expressing that worship. But worship can be an act of service. Worship is a surrender. It's an act. Your giving was an act of worship. But in that act of worship, God will talk. He'll reveal. Things get clear for us on which way to go. We don't want to skip that part of our life. We don't want to, whether it be in church, you know, and I'll just... I'll, I'll skip the worship and I'll just come later. Or in our homes, I'll skip the worship. In our personal life, I'll skip the worship. I, the Bible says to come into his presence with thanksgiving. There's a protocol to following God. If you go visit the queen, there's a protocol to visiting the queen. If you want to come into God's presence, there's a protocol. We come before him with thanksgiving. And in that surrender, in that worship, is when we hear God and we discover his ways. And uh, I want to talk to men just for a little bit this morning. And so if you're a guy, this is for you. Ladies, you can uh, listen in if you like. But, you know, I think sometimes men need to be challenged to be worshipers. Uh, we, and I guess I'm speaking out of my own experience. But there was a time, especially when I'd surrendered my life to God and was filled with the Holy Spirit, that I would I'd go into a service I, and I wanted to worship. But maybe you haven't had this thought go through your head, guys. But this is what went through my head. Is if, I, if I really express myself in worship here, somebody's going to think it's not very manly. They're not going to think it's actually, I don't know if I should be that expressive outwardly with my worship, especially in public or even in private. But then I looked at David. David's a man's man, okay? He, he's a warrior, he is, you know, the ultimate fighter in the Bible. He was a great warrior. David was a hunter. He hunted, uh, took down a bear, took down a lion. In a, in a, I mean, he's a Davy Crockett of the Bible. So he's, he's this amazing hunter. He's a rancher. He's a politician. He's a lover. He's a man's man. But yet David is this exuberant worship. He wrote 73 psalms there in the Bible. You read his life. He played the harp. He, in his work time, in his... Even in his life, when he was down and out, when everything was wiped out in a town called Ziglag, it says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. He got down and worshipped. 
When he was in a hard place, when he was in a trial, he didn't turn to a drug, he didn't turn to a bottle, he didn't turn to escapism, he didn't turn to a game. He says, I'm going to turn to you, God. And in that place of worship, he found his way out. Man, if we want to know which way to lead our families, if we want to know which way to lead our companies, if we want to know which way to lead, it is essential that we're worshipers. Well, I, I think I, you know, I can kind of skip that part. and I can No, it's essential to know God's ways. It's essential to be a worshiper, to be unashamed of worshiping God. Say, God, I worship you. Now, it doesn't mean that it's, it's a reflection of our personality. Some people are naturally more exuberant than others, but it, it's more a reflection of what's in our heart. God, my heart is worshiping you. In that place, we find God's way. Let's look at Moses. Moses taught us that we want God's way. We must have a great hunger for his presence. And worship leads us into his presence. There's something about worship that brings a tangible presence of God into our life. Moses here, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 33 and talking about Moses. David often found himself in really hard places, trials. Moses is in a trial in Exodus chapter 33. We said last week, and it needs to be said again, that in 2012, we're going to face some trials in our life. It's not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. There will be some times, not every day, but there will be some days that are just flat out a trial when we don't know which way to go. We'll say, God, this is beyond me. I don't know how to figure this out. I don't have the strength for it. And we'll just feel like, God, where are you? At that place, God actually has us where he wants us because we're totally relying on him. David was there, and in that place, David worshipped. Very important. Because guess what? Your flesh will not want to worship. You'll have to pull yourself by the ear and say, body, you are going to go to church. You will be there on time, and we're going to worship. This is not about how my body feels. I'm not led by my body. I'm led by my spirit, and my spirit will worship. If we worship, we find ourselves in God's presence. If we're in his presence, we're strong. Paul and Silas in jail. What are Paul and Silas doing? Worshiping God in Philippi. They're worshiping. And in that place of worship, God's presence saturates that jail cell and miraculously the door is open. I think of a man named George Chan. He came to speak to our church a number of years ago and George spent... 20-some years in jail in China. But George was a worshiper. He didn't just spend time in jail. You know what his duty was in jail? They put him in the human latrine, the human waste, and every day he had to shovel human waste. That was his job. Stank. He stank. It was, but he said, my strength was I worshiped. And he would talk about the song that he learned. One of the songs that he sang was, he walks with me and he talks with me. So in the worst of conditions, George was strong. The presence of God was in a human latrine. And there he was worshiping God. What kept him sane? What kept him going? And after 20 years, he got out today. He's done all kinds of work across China. The government has honored him and he's built schools and so forth. And they, they look at George and say, George, how come you look so young? And he looks 20 years younger than what he is. It's like God preserved his life when he was there all that whole time. But the key to George was he wanted God's presence in the worst of conditions. 
I don't know what kind of trial you've been in or what kind of trial you might be in or where you're at today, but worship is a key. And wanting God's presence more than you want a miracle, more than you want anything else. God, I just want your presence. Some of you look at today and say, you know what, I'm, yeah, I'm doing pretty good today. I don't know if I really need this message. But just write it down because you will. Sometime throughout the year, the proverb says store up knowledge because there's a time you'll need it. There's a time in that situation, God, I need to know which way to go. We worship. God, I need to know which way to go. God, I want your presence most of all. Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Okay, we got to get to Exodus chapter 33. Have you found it there in your notes? Moses said to the Lord. Now, now listen, listen to the way Moses talks to God. This is really from the heart. And if you want to commune with God, God says, worship me in spirit and in truth. That means talk from your heart. Don't, don't fake it. Don't try to fool me. You can fool some of your friends some of the time, but you can never fool God. So just be totally honest with God and just pour your heart to God. Here's Moses pouring his heart to God. And he's in a really tough place, folks. This is, you remember that movie, that epic movie, Ten Commandments, Charleston Heston, Neil Brenner, and he, Moses comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments and he throws them down and he's angry. And that's, that's the story right here. Moses has just had it with these people. He spent 40 days on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. He comes down and his brother-in-law has built this golden staff. They're all, or staff, golden calf, and they're all worshiping it. And he's just like, oh, I can't believe this. And he's in this incredibly hard place. God says, I want you to lead these people out of Egypt into the promised land. It's not like his, just his family. It's like millions of people. And he's in this hard place. So listen to what he says. You have been telling me to lead these people, but you haven't let me know whom you're sending with me. You also said I know you by name and I'm pleased with you. So he's pouring on his heart to God. He says, God, this is, I'm reminding you of what you said. In our prayers, we can do that. We can remind God of what he said. If you're really pleased with me, look at these words, show me your way so that I can know you and that you will continue to be pleased with me. Remember, <laughs> I like this, this nation is your people, God, these, th these people that you gave me. The Lord answered, my presence will go with you and I will give you peace. Then Moses said to him, look at this, if your presence is not going with us, don't make us leave this place. What did Moses want? It wasn't, he wasn't looking for the acts. He wasn't looking for the deeds. He wasn't, he says, God, I want your presence. It says in Psalm 103, verse 7, you can write this note on the side, he made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The children of Israel knew about the performance, they knew about the acts, they knew about the deeds that God did, but Moses knew God's ways. There's a difference. He said, I want, I want to be in your presence. Because in your presence, I'll know what to do. Yeah. There's a time when, in John chapter 14, Jesus says, he's talking about going away, so I go to prepare a place for you. And God has a place prepared in heaven for us, but he also prepares things for us in this lifetime. And Philip says, Lord, we don't know which way you're going. How will we know the way? And that's when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What was he saying to Philip? Philip says, I don't know the way. And he was saying, Philip, if you know me, you'll know the way. If you want to be in my presence, you'll know what to do. That's why Jesus in Revelation says, I stand at the door and knock. He's speaking to Christians. I'm standing at your door and knock. If you open the door, 
That's your decision. But if you open the door, I'll come in and I will dine with you and you'll dine with me. What is that? What is that? That's God saying, I want to go for lunch with you. I want you to be in my presence. Wow. Have you ever had a call from a VIP or a very important person? They say, I want to take you for lunch. Can I come over? We go, wow, you, you, you want to spend time with me? Folks, this is Jesus saying, I want to hang out with you. Sometimes we're like, oh, if only so-and-so would call me. If only so-and-so would call me, then I'd really feel accepted. They, they called that person, but they didn't call me. But Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling us. He said, hey, I want to spend time with you. If, if you're with me, you'll know which way to go. Just know my ways. Be my presence. Sometimes we can know about the acts of God, but it's being in his presence. There's a great young Canadian singer by the name of Justin Bieber. I don't know if you've heard about him, but if you haven't, uh, welcome to 2012. He's, he's, a, he's a sensation. A young singer does an amazing job, and he's, his performances are known around the world. His songs, actually we use one of his songs for our, one of the youth and young adult things called Baby Baby, and they did this little dance, and they, they promoted this uh, youth or young adult retreat, and they had all these youth out there dancing, and the, some of the leaders, they didn't ask me to dance for whatever reason, but anyhow, they had this, they had this little dance of Baby Baby, and it was a lot of fun. And, uh, and just, or, yeah, Justin's, his performances, his acts, his awards, and his, the things that he's won, people know that, but, his mom, there's a movie that came out called Never Say Never about his life, and in that movie, we meet his mom. The world might know his acts, his deeds, but his mom knows Justin's ways. He, she knows his ways. God's inviting us to know his ways. How did that become possible through what Christ did for us? He says, come, I want to know you. So we want his presence. Oh, we've got to move on. Time is slipping away too fast. Number three, we talked about David. David was a worshiper. Worship brings us into his presence. And then we talk about uh, Moses wanting the presence of God. Now we're talking about Joseph. And Joseph uh, was a man who persevered. And he taught us that if we persevere, we would discover God's way opens the door to something far greater than what is behind us. God's ways will open the door to something greater than what's behind us. Inside of you, there's something big. There's something great. In Joseph, there was a dream. There was something big. God is not a respecter person. He is, he's placed a dream. He's placed something big on the inside of you. He's prepared it for you. But in that, he has to prepare us for the prepared place, if you like. And Joseph persevered, and in that persevering, he found God's way. Because sometimes his way, it seems like it's hidden to us. It seems like we've been overlooked. It seems like nobody's noticed. It seems like, God, where are you? Do you remember the story of Joseph? He's taken his brothers, throw him into a pit. He's sold into slavery, ends up in Egypt, bought by Potiphar, the head of the military, serves Potiphar. Potiphar does great with him. Then his wife she's a cougar, tries to get at Joseph. Joseph runs for his life. He's framed, gets thrown into jail, spends 
a number of years in jail, and then overnight becomes a prime minister when he interprets the Pharaoh's dream. This is the life of Joseph in a nutshell. But Joseph, in those years in prison, you talk about having to persevere. It was a trial. But God had him hidden there. God had him incognito. They didn't know about him. Had the rulers of Egypt known that there was a Hebrew slave in jail who one day would take the position they were after, what would they have done? They would have found that boy in jail and they would have killed that boy. He would have never been there. And all those times that he was in jail wondering, God, why do you have me here? You have a dream for my life and now I'm spending this time in jail. It was for his own good because God actually, his enemies in a sense, were protecting him for the position that was yet to come. It didn't make sense to him at the time, but as he persevered, as he waited on God, God's way would open up to him. And sometimes in our life, we feel like, God, where are you? I'm persevering. I'm waiting. It doesn't make sense to me. And God isn't saying anymore. The the heavens feel like grass, and you're wondering, where is God? He's holding you. He's preparing a place for you. And at the appointed time, the door will open like it was for Esther, was for Joseph. At the right time, the door opens up. But he can't reveal it yet. He can't can't let the world see it yet. But the time is coming when he will. Okay, let's go back to uh, uh, James chapter 1 and read this. We had read this last week. Remember that worship leads to the manifested presence of God, which empowers us to persevere under trial. When we're in God's presence, we can persevere. Okay, James chapter 1, it says here, Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, not if trouble does come our way, let it be the opportunity for joy. Now that doesn't make any sense, does it? Trouble is an opportunity for joy. Usually trouble is an opportunity for sadness. Trouble is an opportunity to get depressed. But this verse says trouble is an opportunity for joy. We'll explain that in just a minute. It says, for when your faith is tested, your endurance has the chance to grow. Your faith gets tested. Always remember, the enemy is after your faith. He's not after the relationship. He's not after your job. He's not after your money. He's not after your house. He wants your faith. He wants to get you at a place where you say, okay, I just quit on God. So that's why we never quit on God. Faith pleases God. Faith is the victory. This is what overcomes the world, even our faith. So that's what he's after. So when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. When your endurance is fully developed, you'll be strong in character and ready for anything. That season of of, uh, jail time for Joseph simply prepared him for the great door that God was about to open for him. I like to call that Desert University. If you haven't been to Desert University yet, God will enroll you sooner or later. Every great leader goes to Desert University. A season of God, where are you? What are you doing in my life? This verse says here, when your faith is tested. I was thinking about that verse some time ago, and I was thinking about faith being a seed. Remember, Jesus said faith like a mustard seed. The Bible says that the word is an incorruptible seed. In the parable of the sower sowing the word, the, the seed was that word, it gets sown in the ground. And he says sometimes it's thrown by the, by the wayside, the sidewalk, the pavement, the birds come pick it up. It never does get into the soil. It never does germinate. Sometimes the, the weeds will come and choke it out. And so this verse here says, when your faith is tested, and something just came alive on the inside of me. 
it just encouraged me and gave me joy when I, when I saw this. Because if the faith is being tested, that means that the faith got into the soil. That means that seed germinated. That means that the blade came out of the ground. That means I'm already on the way. Because the enemy will come along and say, you don't have any faith, you'll lie to you, and you'll wonder, do I have faith? If you're being tested, it's proof that you have embraced the seed, the word of God, and something's being produced in your life. There's a reason to be expected and a reason to be joyful. When we were on the farm growing up, my father would plant the crop in May, and then sometime in June, usually after we finished the chores, my dad would say, let's go for a walk. We'd walk out into the field, and my dad was looking for that grain to germinate and for that first blade of wheat or oats or barley, whatever it was, to come through the soil. And when we'd walk out there, and my dad would say, son, look, it's germinated. It's up. And we'd walk out again, we'd see a whole row of these little green shoots coming out of the ground. And my dad was so happy. He said, son, let's get the bins ready. Let's get the combines ready because we have a harvest that's coming. And he was excited about it. And when your faith has germinated, sometimes it comes under test. But that's not the season to quit on God when you're in that trial. That's the season to say, wait a minute, I'm going to hang in there. This is just proof that God's on his way, that there's a breakthrough coming. There's a harvest coming into my life. Yeah. The joy counted all joy. <laughs> One time Cheryl said to to me, we were facing a situation that was really challenging, and I love what she said. She said, it's going to be fun to see how God solves this problem. Have you ever been there where it's just the problem is really challenging? You go, God, I don't know what to do. And I like that approach. God, I don't know how you're going to fix this, but it's going to be really fun to see how you solve this problem. Because he will. Ah, uh, yeah. All right, we've got to move on. A trial is a part of a grand plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Yeah. Hmm. How many, even in the past year or two, you really had to persevere? 2011, you had to persevere. Anybody in 2011, you felt like you really had to push through? How many felt in the last year or so that God's protection was on your life. You could just look back and see, God, you're watching over me here. You're watching over me there. Anybody see? Just raise your hands if you felt that way. Yeah, that's most of us. We felt like there was a time where we really had to persevere. There's a time where God was really watching over us. What does that tell us? That tells us there's something great ahead of us. If you had a fight last year, if you had to persevere and push through a trial, what's it telling us? There's something big on the way. And we owe it to ourselves, you owe it to yourself, to keep living, to find out why you're here. To find out what was that fight all about. Why was there a storm over my life? Joseph said, I don't know what this is all about. Why I had a dream, why I'm in prison, but there must be something out there. And I'm not going to quit till I find out what this fight is all about. If you've had a push through, if there's been a try, you have to realize in this perseverance, God's going to show me his way. Isaiah 49, verse 16, I love this verse. It says, behold, I've indelibly imprinted. I've taken this out of the Amplified Bible, tattooed a picture of you on the palm of my hands. What's God saying? He's saying, I've not forgotten you. Joseph felt forgotten. God is saying, I have not forgotten you. 
He says, I've tattooed a picture of you on the palm of my hands. You know that your, your picture, you may have all kinds of Facebook pictures, and maybe you've got a picture of somebody on your, on your iPhone. Or, but God says, I got your picture on the palm of my hand. He tattooed it on there. Now, this is not a verse to justify your tattoos, but just in case you were wondering. <laughs> it's, it's a verse that tells us that God loves us. He tattooed us onto the palm of his hands. Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear me, they know my voice, and no man can take them out of my hand. We're, we're, we're imprinted onto God's hands. Nothing can separate us from his love. Have you ever seen a teenager fall in love and they, you know, a guy falls in love and his girlfriend's name is Helen, so he tattoos Helen onto his arm or whatever. And six months later, he don't love Helen anymore. Helen's gone, but I got this tattoo, and I have a problem. So he tries to tattoo Mary over it, or he puts a different tattoo over it, and he's like, this is a problem. i got to get it burnt off. Well, God doesn't have to erase the name. You are on his hand. He has not forgotten you. He had not forgotten Joseph. Yeah. Hmm. Overnight, Joseph becomes a success. He went from a prisoner to prime minister of the country. I think there was people afterwards when Joseph became prime minister of the country, they looked and they said, because they didn't know the story. They just saw Joseph, the prime minister, riding around in his chariot with a lot of bling bling. Oh, here comes Joseph. They go, wow, look at Joseph. Man, he's, he's prime minister, and I wonder how he did that. He must have lived a very privileged life, you know, and he must have had a lot of favors, and they didn't realize what he went through. And when we've gone through a trial and God opens up a door for us and he plants you somewhere, and sometimes people will do the same thing. They'll say, oh, you know, you must have had a really privileged life to be able to enjoy what you're enjoying. But they didn't see the hell and high water you went through to get there. They didn't see the time that you were under a trial. They didn't see the time when you were... When everybody else was playing and you were praying, they didn't see the time when you went in your child's bedroom and you wrestled for that child. They didn't see the time when you gave and there was nothing left to give. They didn't see the time that you, you sacrificed and you prayed and you hung in and you didn't quit. They didn't see that in Joseph's life. And sometimes people won't see it, they won't recognize it, but God sees it and he hasn't forgotten us. Oh, too much to say here. Lastly, God will open the door at the right time. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus says, I know all the things that you do, and I've opened a door for you that no one can shut. You have little strength. We don't have huge strength, but we have enough. Yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. God will open the door for us at the right time. And then lastly, the present trial that we're under will work out for the good. Because if we want to know God's ways, we have to persevere when it looks like there is no answer. Because the way will show up in time. Just hang in there. It will work together for good. At the time, it seems like, God, this doesn't make any sense. But Romans, here tells us in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things, notice that word, all things work together for good to those who love God, called according to his purpose. All things. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says, but as for you, you meant it e evil against me, but God meant it for good. All things work together for good. If they say yes, it is good. If they say no, it is good. If I get married, it is good. If I don't get married, it is good. If I get the job, it is good. If I don't get the job, it is good. If I get a raise, it's good. If I don't get a raise, it is good. If I buy a house in Vancouver that costs over a million dollars, it is good. If I can buy a house in Vancouver, it is good. It is good. 
Paul said, I've learned to be content in all things because all things work together for good. Persevering, knowing that it will work together for good. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. 